Welcome to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems, sharing reflections on the environmental, agricultural, social, and nutritional factors that form the foundation of healthy food systems and healthy economies. Now your host, Dr. Mary Lucero. Welcome back. The plan this week is to start looking at how to read soil tests and we're going to step into this slowly because I'm going to talk about some terms many of you don't use every day. So it may take us a few episodes to get through soil testing. The most frequent soil tests anyone needs to run are the soil tests you do yourself as you look at your farm or garden soil. So we're going to start there. The reason we're so concerned about soil testing and soil assessment, what you're doing at home is really a soil assessment. But the reason all this matters so much is because if you want your soil to produce nutrient-dense foods, there are many factors to consider. You need to have the right chemistry and the right biology in place, so you need to incorporate assessments that look at both chemistry and biology. The good news is you can start your assessment at home by looking at what's already there. Study your plants. Do they look healthy? Are pests present? Are your leaves bright green? or are they discolored? Discolorations can be signs of various nutrient deficiencies. After you study your plants, you want to look at the soil itself. Are there bare areas where plants aren't growing? Take a shovel and dig up some soil. What's living in there? Do you see a lot of plant roots? Do you see decaying plant materials? Is the soil dark, as though there's a lot of organic matter present? Or is it light-colored, like the rocks that it originated from? If you live in a region where the rocks your soil originated from are black or dark brown, then the color can be a little bit more difficult to interpret. We'll save that for another discussion. But for most of us, dark colors in soil are indicative of organic matter, and that's usually a real good sign. Do you see earthworms, pill bugs, and other organisms that help decompose organic matter? I actually teach an online course called Microbial Analysis for Growers that shows farmers and gardeners how to use a compound microscope to identify soil microorganisms that influence plant health. Once you've got the basic soil components present, your ratios of soil bacteria to fungi have a lot to do with whether your crops resist weeds and pests. You can find a link to the course beneath this podcast. It's not far-fetched to ask, what does your soil smell like? I'm serious. Pick up a handful of moist soil and give it a whiff. If it smells like a forest, you're in great shape. This is the smell microbes emit when they're releasing a lot of plant nutrients. Old-timers also used to talk about tasting the soil. This practice wisely fell out of favor years ago as more and more farmers and gardeners turned to chemical fertilizers and pesticides. You don't want to be putting this toxic stuff in your mouth. However, in the old days, a soil with a sweeter taste had a more neutral pH and a favorable amount of organic matter. A bitter soil was more alkaline, and a sour soil was too acidic. We'll talk more about what alkaline and acidic soils do in just a moment. Just keep in mind that there was a time not so long ago when the best growers were proficient at tasting, feeling, 
and smelling their soil. Feeling your soil tells you about its texture. If it's coarse and grainy, it has a lot of sand and may have trouble holding water and nutrients. If it's smooth and sticky, it may have a lot of clay. Clay is great at holding water and nutrients, but may not let enough air flow through the soil. Soil needs air to keep the microorganisms, earthworms, plant roots, and other living things healthy. If you want a real precise guide to describing your soil texture based on how it feels, there's a flow chart available to the public from USDA's Natural Resource Conservation Service. I'm going to include a link to their website for you in the documentation under this podcast. Bear in mind that I'm not affiliated with them in any way. I'm just giving you a live link because it's free and helpful. If USDA changes their website, that link may disappear. So download the flowchart while you can. By now you should be able to see that you can learn quite a bit about your soil just by using your own senses. The appearance, the color, the feel, the smell, and the presence of living things are all important indicators of soil quality. With experience, you're going to be able to base maybe 70 to 80% of your farming and gardening decisions on these observations. And if you're happy being a C student, you may farm and garden for years without going beyond these assessments. But in a world where agriculture can make or break our climate, poor nutrition is burying us in healthcare costs, and small farms are selling out to corporate giants or housing developers, C-grade production just might not be good enough to keep your land in production for another generation. If you want to maximize your crop quality, including the crop nutritional quality, reduce environmental risks, and build profit margins, you're going to have to send a sample of your soil to a laboratory for testing. Soil labs vary widely in the methods they use, so you want to make sure that you take your soil samples according to the directions provided by your chosen soil lab. Just like you are careful when you choose your doctor, you want to be careful about choosing your soil lab. I prefer using labs that are independent of fertilizer companies simply because it's all too easy to turn lab results into recommendations for chemical fertilizers. And these chemical fertilizers simply are not always necessary if you're using biological approaches. The North American Proficiency Testing Program, or NAPT, provides quality assurances for independent soil labs. So it's worthwhile to verify that your soil chemistry lab participates in NAPT or in a comparable organization. But you also want to visit with current and former customers of the lab, just like you would visit with former patients before choosing a physician. Ask about costs, learn what's being analyzed, and make sure that pH, cation exchange capacity, organic matter, macro and micronutrients are all being included in your test. Keep in mind that even though each parameter measured in your soil test is important, none of these are very meaningful in isolation. You need to be looking at the whole picture, the chemical, the physical, and the biological properties of your soil. This means you're not only going to consider what's on your soil test, but also the crop you plan to grow, and all those visual and sensual observations you made on the ground. Your lab analyst may have a good 
feel for some of these factors. But he or she is not out there walking in your field. And he or she is not feeding your family. So take their advice into consideration. After all, they're experts. That's what you're paying them for. But remember that at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. So if what they are saying doesn't make sense for your operation, you may need to step back and do some more homework. So let's talk a little bit about what you're actually going to see on that lab report. Probably one of the most universal factors that are measured in various soil labs is the pH. You probably learned the very basics of pH in high school chemistry. pH is a measure of the acidity or the basicity of any solution. And because your soil contains water, your soil has properties of a solution. Because your plants are absorbing nutrients from that soil water, the pH of your soil influences your plant nutrition. What you really need to remember about pH is that it's measured on a scale from 0 to 14. And on that scale, the number 7 is neutral. Anything below 7 is considered acidic. Everything above 7 is considered basic. Basic and alkaline are synonyms. So when we talk about a basic soil or alkaline soil, we're saying the same thing. While there are some exceptions, we usually see acidic soils in areas that receive a lot of heavy precipitation. Globally, we see acidic soils in the humid northern forests and in the humid tropics. In the United States, we see them along the east coast and, of course, in tropical regions like Hawaii. Alkaline soils are characteristic of deserts and semi-arid zones. We see a lot of these in the western United States and particularly in the southwest. In New Mexico, West Texas, and Colorado, almost all growers are starting out with alkaline soils. Now, the pH that is considered the best for most crop plants is actually fairly neutral. Somewhere between the pH of 6.5 and 7 is a range in which the maximum number of plant nutrients are retained in the soil solution, and this makes them the most bioavailable for plants. Now, there are some native plants that tolerate high or low pHs, but these usually aren't the crops that people eat very much of. So when pH falls, we start to see nutrients like nitrogen, sulfur, phosphorus, magnesium, and even molybdenum precipitate out of the solution. And these minerals are crucial for making proteins in the plant, for making the DNA your plants need to support growth and cell division. They're important for maintaining functional chloroplasts that carry out photosynthesis and provide energy for the growth of your plants. Bottom line, your plant isn't going to do very well without these nutrients, and you find a lot of growers in regions with acidic soils having to amend their soil to ensure access to these nutrients. If you hear a lot about liming soil, this is a process that many growers use in humid regions to raise the pH of their soil because sometimes you don't really need to add magnesium or molybdenum. You just need to raise the pH of your soil so that the molybdenum that's already there becomes available to your plant. 
As land becomes more arid, pH goes up and the soil becomes alkaline. Keep in mind when we're talking about pH, that pH is measured in a logarithmic scale, which means that a soil with a pH of 8 is actually 10 times more alkaline than a neutral soil with a pH of 7. So even though moving from 7 to 8 doesn't sound like a big leap, when you're talking pH, the jump from a pH of 7 to a pH of 8 can make the difference in whether or not a plant can survive at all. Frankly, we don't see a lot of any crop plants growing above a pH of 8. Most of the farm soils that I look at in the southwestern U.S have a pH somewhere between 7 and maybe 7.8. These alkaline soils tend to be really rich in calcium, but they're often lacking important micronutrients like iron, copper, manganese, and zinc. These micronutrients are really important for enzymatic reactions that help the plant function. If your soil is producing plants that show nutrient deficiencies, or if your soil test shows that you're low in iron, copper, manganese, zinc, and other micronutrients, there are a number of ways to correct them. Your soil test, your visual assessment, and the price of amendments in your area are going to guide you to the best solution. In arid and semi-arid lands like we see throughout much of the western U.S., your best bet is almost always to add organic matter. You're not going to change pH overnight, but you can add composts, humates, biochars, even manures. Each of these additives comes in a wide range of qualities. So you want to research your source and make sure that what you're purchasing to put on your soil is high quality. A good manure can save your soil. A bad manure can destroy it. Many growers find that the cheapest way to build your soil's organic matter is by planting dense cover crops during the off-season. And some are even interseeding cover crops with their production crops during the growing season. With regular monitoring and good stewardship, you can move any soil to a more optimal pH. The benefits to doing this are enormous because when you optimize the pH for the crops you're growing, you not only save money on fertilizer, you also grow a crop that is relatively free of pests and disease. To summarize, just remember that between 70 to 80 percent of the soil analysis that you need to grow your crop can be carried out at home by mastering what a good soil looks, feels, and smells like. If you want to refine that, you can analyze the soil biology under the microscope, and you can add soil chemistry tests from a soil lab. A professional soils lab can tell you about the chemical properties of your soil, including pH, CEC, and nutrient composition. Plants like to grow at a neutral pH. Raise a low pH by adding lime. Lower a high pH by adding organic matter. For our next episode, we'll talk about some of the other parameters you're going to measure on your soil test, such as the cation exchange capacity, the base saturation, and the macro and micronutrients. Please join me then. You have been listening to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems podcast. This podcast is produced by Endophyte Enterprises, LLC. 
You can subscribe to our podcast at endofight.com or look for us on your favorite podcast directory. Information or products referenced in any episode can be found in the show notes associated with that episode. These notes may contain links to our online courses or services. They may also contain links to affiliate sites. Purchases made through these links help support our efforts to produce this podcast.